Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the show that pits two movies with something in common against each other to see which one does it better. And on this Halloween special, in the red corner, ghosts writing wrongs and smooth jazz songs. It's 1980s The Fog. 100 years ago, between midnight and one, something unknown came out of the fog. Now it has returned. Oh, Jesus. John Carpenter's The Fog. While in the blue corner, it's time for Supermarket Shriek. But it's not the prices that are being slashed in half. From 2007, it's The Mist. Something in the mist! Shut the doors! Shut the doors! What were you guys messing with up there? I thought that there were other dimensions. They wanted to try and make a window. Well, maybe your window turned out to be a door. So what connects these two movies, and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's the Clash of the Titles Halloween Special. Yes, hello, Clash Potters. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. And welcome to our Halloween special where two terrifying movies go up against each other. I'm going to stop doing that now. It's just <laughs> otherwise I'll get hooked on doing it and that'll be the show and everyone will talk about his brilliant accent and <laughs> not the movies. Again. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing The Fog from 1980, John Carpenter's The Fog versus Frank Darabont's The Mist. Whose choices were these? These are my choices. Uh, would you like to know why? I've actually written something again. For this oh, week. okay. Uh, what is the link between the two films, Vicky? It's raining mayhem. The mist hits the fan. <laughs> That's, I did that last night. That's not bad. Is it's it? raining mayhem was good. Thanks. The, the mist hits the fan. Yeah. Not so good. Uh. It started well. <laughs> Do you really think that's the best one out of those two? Quit while you're ahead. Oh, uh, okay. I've got a connection. Go on. Do it. <laughs> Are both films directed by filmmakers whose first name involves one syllable and whose surname involves three syllables? Wow, yeah. Oh, my God, that's so deep. <laughs> what made you think of that? Well, the syllables. Yeah, mainly. <laughs> Uh, would you like to know why I picked them? <laughs> yes. Go on. Because. I can feel it coming in the air tonight. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> that was rubbish. Um, no, so, because... Vicky, you actually won. <laughs> <laughs> that's a surprise. Uh, because it's Halloween. Yeah. And I wanted to pick two horror films, and I thought it'd be really interesting to revisit these two films. Any particular reason? Because I like them both. Mm. Um, I wanted to see how I felt about them now compared to when I saw them the first time, especially The Mist. I saw that when it came out, and I wonder if my maturity okay. <laughs> and so no changes that have happened in the world would maybe make me see it maybe a little bit differently to how I saw it then. All right. And you'd seen The Fog when? The last time I saw The Fog, uh, I, I looked this up because I could actually google it it was in june 2013 and it was um just a few minutes away from the bunker where we actually record this in a deconsecrated church in islington called the nave 
and they did a screening of it um, to coincide with the release of the soundtrack. And it was really awesome watching it in a church with a fog machine. Okay. Hmm. Was this part of like an immersive cinema experience? Not really. Some guys called Cigarette Burns who do regular screenings and Death Waltz Records who release soundtracks just teamed up to do a one-off event and it was a lot of the Fright Fest people went down there and there was booze on tap and yeah. But the immersive element, they just filled a church with dry ice. I think they did, although I'd had a few wines, so maybe that was just on the telly. <laughs> maybe that was just your vision. <laughs> maybe that was just on the screen. Just cloudy vision. Um, so, Vicky, what about you? When did you see the fog? And we know when you saw the mist because we got the message on WhatsApp going, fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw the mist last night. Yeah. Um, and I saw the fog last week. Okay. <laughs> okay, so those are both new for you. Yeah. How about you, Alex? Um, I saw The Mist like about five or six years ago, maybe more actually, probably closer to the time it came out. The Fog, I watched on the same night. We've mentioned it on the show previously. It was Halloween, I think maybe 1992, The Ghost Watch. Oh, yeah, you did Halloween. Say, yeah, yeah. The night where I watched Ghost Watch mm. terrified me. Mm-hmm. Also, Creep Show, the episode with the crate with the killer baboon in. And then there was this. And I was watching it again thinking I'd seen the whole thing, but I think I got about halfway through and turned this off as a kid. And I think it was, I genuinely think Mm. it was because I was too frightened, which actually surprised me watching it again this time. Yeah, I'll say. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So shall I start? Do it. All right. We do this chronologically, which means the fog goes first. That was my movie given to me by Christopher Tilly. So this week I was given 1980s The Fog. It's that familiar story where the inhabitants of a quiet coastal town have their peace and tranquility upset by the arrival of some rowdy out-of-towners who engage in acts of vandalism, break some church windows and demand a blood sacrifice as payment for the intentional sinking of a ship full of lepers a hundred years <laughs> earlier. We've all been there. <laughs> Nothing like a weekend away. <laughs> Where's the fog now? Well, it should be right outside my door now. Well, there's something different about this fog. Dan, stay away from the door! Someone listen to me! Get inside and lock your doors. Close your windows. There's something in the fog. So, The Fog, um, like I said, hadn't seen it for ages. Uh, Not what I expected. No. And I think mainly because I turned it off shortly after the first attack on the boat by the pirates that arrive in this small coastal town, although they're not actually pirates. I don't know. They carry swords, so people talk of them as pirates, but they're deceased mariners. Ghost pirates. <laughs> but they're not even go- They're ghosts, but not ghost pirates. I don't know where this idea of pirates has come from. There's no mention of them being pirates in the film. Because they're dressed like pirates. Right. <laughs> he does carry a cutlass. Yeah, he does. But- and, and on the behind-the-scenes stuff, they certainly call one of them Captain Maggot. <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah, the one well, the one with worms coming out of his oh. face. Yes. Okay. So, to go back to my point, not what I expected, because I turned it off after the first boat attack, expecting this to be a slasher movie mm. in the vein of Halloween, just with ghost mariners <laughs> nice. in the fog. It's not that. It's a much more subtle ghost story. Would that be a fair analysis? Very much so. Yeah, they, they said they wanted to do something a a little less violent. Deborah Hill and John Carpenter made this film than their previous movie, Halloween. Mm. And actually, I don't know if you're reading around this, the first cut of it, uh, John Carpenter said, boy, was it bad when I first did it. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Oh, he hated it. He hated it. He He said said it was unwatchable. Yeah, he said it did not work as a movie. So a whole third of the movie had to be reshot. The bits that were mainly reshot were the attack on the boat to make it more graphic, any of the violence, and also the walking corpse in the mortuary. My God, that bit. (laughs) Yeah, which is why that bit is not explained at all. Yeah, they they reshot it. They re-edited it. They re-scored it. Um... They said scanners had just come out and people were into violence and they needed to make yep. it more violent. And also the the money men said you need to put more violence into That's this right. one. But the the other scene, let's talk about it from the top. The first scene that you mm. get... Which was is, also added in. Which was added yeah. in, yeah. Um, it's uh, John Houseman, a uh, very famous character actor. It's him telling the ghost story. The plot of the movie, basically, about this historic event in the town where a ship was wrecked off the coast and apparently 100 years after this event, which is actually the night we joined the movie, these dead seamen are going to come to life again and seek revenge on the town. My first problem with this scene is that He's a terrifying old man Mm. and he's surrounded by kids. Mm, At midnight. Not not a parent in sight. (laughs) No. And also he's telling them a fairly graphic ghost story. I would be worried who put him in charge of those kids. It's like, Clive, you're babysitting tonight. (laughs) 
Don't take them down to the beach. Start a campfire and tell them a graphic story about dead pirates and how their bloated corpses floated in the ocean. There's a sort of a very hands-off approach to childcare throughout mm. this film. Yeah. Um, in, and, yeah, early years safeguarding, obviously not a thing. Isn't this more an American tradition, though, of, like... Paedophiles. Camp counsellors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, camp counsellors kind of telling yeah. stories around a campfire. I think he doesn't look like a camp counsellor, does he? He looks like a paedophile, so that's the problem. Well, no, he looks like a mariner, doesn't he? He looks like an old... Yeah. or as old I, salty sea dog. Or, as I like to call him, Captain Exposition. <laughs> I mean, on the on one of the documentaries, John Carpenter says he probably wasn't the right actor to cast in that role. Oh, really? I, I just wanted to work with him. Okay. And so got him in for a day and he was yeah. able to do all that dialogue in one day. And so they... I mean, his history is really famous. He was one of the uh, people who managed to get Citizen Kane off the ground. But rather than talk about that, I want to talk about Scrooged because he's in Scrooge. <laughs> the advert where um, Bill Murray is shown the advert for their Christmas edition of Scrooge. And there's the old man with the book by the fire and it's like, hosted by Sir John Houseman. They play it out and Bill Murray goes, oh my gosh, does that suck? Now I have to kill all of you. <laughs> so anyway, that moment when he's telling that ghost story full of dread. Yeah. I think it's a great start. My other favourite moment from the film is where Father Maloney yeah. finds the journal yeah. and starts reading the mythology yeah. about what is actually happening in this town. Yeah. Terrifying. And it's so weird that a film that is about ghost stories, its two best scenes are people literally reading <laughs> ghost stories. When the um, Father Maloney is um, in the vestry, would that be right? I'd say so. And uh, the bricks are creaking and then something's going to jump out of the wall. It's like, please, let it be a diary. Let it be a diary. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't disappointed. Your wish came true. How much should we go into the plot, by the way, at this stage? No, there's the, not a lot of plot. There's not a huge amount <laughs> no. of plot. The founding fathers of this town 100 years ago, um, a guy, a very rich man who was also suffering from leprosy, was part of a leper colony off the coast. He wanted to move that leper colony on land. The founding fathers of this town wanted his money... But they didn't want the lepers, so they set up a false fire which dragged his ship as it was coming to shore onto some rocks and everyone died. And now, a 100 years later, he's come back for the gold that they stole and to seek his revenge on the six people related to those founding fathers. Give me a campfire, give me a beach, get me some kids. <laughs> I thought they were back because they really liked um, cheap jazz. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. was going to be a rock and roll radio station. Sorry, one of the characters is a DJ and it was going to be rock and roll, but it was too expensive to get rock and roll. Mm -hmm. Jazz was much cheaper, therefore that's why it's crappy jazz. <laughs> yeah, actually, we everything could... was done on the cheap in this film. <laughs> so just so you get an idea of the radio station in the fog, if you haven't heard it, I can play you a, a little snippet now of the sexy voiced DJ, Stevie Wayne, and the kind of radio banter she goes for. Even if you do have something to do, keep me turned on for a while. And I'll try my best to do the same for you. I've got a semi. <laughs> oh, come on. Alex, you, of course, were a radio DJ for some years. How would you rate that as a, as a radio show, as a, her as a DJ? Uh, it's fireable. <laughs> it's a fireable offence. No matter how late at night is it, you can't, you can't be there going, I'll try and keep you turned on. Um, so there's, there's a thing going on in this film which I think annoyed me a bit more watching it this time was that there's not a really character who's a through line. There's a few characters that could be the main character and it feels like John Carpenter hasn't really made up his mind. And so you've got Adrian Barbeau and the, her, she's the DJ and her son and his babysitter. That's one plot line. And then you've got Tom Atkins and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and it almost feels like he should be the hero of the story but then we just keep cutting away from him. Mm. Tom Atkins, whose character is called Nick Castle... There are so many in-jokes in this, it almost becomes a little bit ridiculous. Like Tom Atkins is called Nick Castle. Nick Castle obviously being the actor who played the shape in Halloween. Then you've got a character, the coroner is called Dr. Fibes after the movie we were talking about, Vicky, on the other show, The Abominable Dr. Fibes. Great film. The other day, a great <laughs> film you were missed that week. Vicky mm. even said, you really need Chris here for this conversation. <laughs> yeah, I did try, didn't you I? Did. You did, yeah. you were great. Oh. I, great. I, I, I was like, oh, tell me more. Yeah. Not a fucking clue. <laughs> and then the cop, the sheriff is called Dan O'Bannon yep, after his Dark Star creator and alien writer. So yeah, there's loads of in-jokes, but you're absolutely right. It feels very disjointed. And Jamie Lee Curtis, John Carpenter gave her the role in this as a bit of a favour, which I never knew because she did Halloween and it was this phenomenal hit. 
And then she kind of expected things to roll on off the back of it, but it didn't. Like, she didn't get a lot of work. And so John Carpenter was like, come back into the fold and do this. I like the fact that her character is so different to Laurie Strode, though, because, mm. you you know, there are theories that Laurie Strode survives Halloween because she's a virgin. And this character is definitely not a virgin. Jumps into bed with Tom Atkins straight away. I quite like that. It's I think very, very judgy tone. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I quite Jumps like that. Jumps into bed straight away. What, was he not willing? Did she... Force his hand in some way? I don't They don't they show, show that, that scene. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I don't You're know. lucky that I'm laughing. You're very lucky. I think they make a very uh lovely couple. I I like their relationship. I'm worried that both you and I are now coming up with the same jokes. <laughs> yeah, which, you should be. Yeah. I'm looking yeah, at you. I, you I, I, oh, I come out of this worse. <laughs> I know what he's like. Did you did did you feel like it was good to see an older guy hooking up with a much younger woman? Because we don't see enough of that in the movies. <laughs> it's so refreshing. It, isn't it? It's so it makes refreshing. a real change. Yeah. What, what brave choices, honestly. <laughs> what I did like is that they do shag each other and she's a hitchhiker, but it didn't feel like she had to like pay for her ride, no. in inverted commas. So it felt like it, she wasn't doing it because she felt she had to pay back, like being... Um, which would be quite an easy way to write it. Mm. Adrienne Barbeau, who uh, plays the DJ with a very sexy voice, um, she is in one of my favourite movies as a kid, Cannonball Run, which mm. has not aged well, but <laughs> she plays one of the girls driving the Lamborghini Countach. And their trick, Vicky, if you've not seen Cannonball Run, is whenever they get pulled over by an officer of the law for speeding, <laughs> they reveal some cleavage <laughs> and the cop goes, hey, I'll let you off. The funny scene is where Adrian Barbeau, they've been pulled over again, and she goes, let me handle this, and unzips her top to reveal the cleavage. Guess what? The cop's a woman. It doesn't work. <laughs> oh, no. Now that's writing. Stupid bitch. <laughs> wow. Vicky. Are you going to edit it this week? <laughs> um I liked that, but Stevie, the DJ's voice, she does have a sexy voice, but it's a put on. It's not like, mm. she's, that's not, she's, 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 not she's like acting, doing the shopping and calling her kid and whatever. Yeah. And then she puts it on. Don't you like. wish they really played that a bit more like on air? She'd have been like, so this is Stevie Wayne playing you all the jazz hits. I'll be back in a moment. And then answer the phone and go, hello, yeah, yeah. <laughs> get in the bath. Ah, there's a fog coming in. Get her <laughs> She'd recently married John Carpenter. Oh. As well. Okay. Yep. Which must have been awkward because, and apparently, according to Jamie Lee Curtis, it was a little bit awkward because his ex-girlfriend was Deborah Hill, the producer of this, mm -hmm. co-writer as well, and who'd worked with him for years. Mm -hmm. And they were still very close. But obviously, he'd married Adrian Barbeau at this point. But it was on a trip to the UK where John Carpenter and Deborah Hill came up with the idea, partially for this mm -hmm. film, when they visited Stone. Henge. Oh, really? Yeah, have you ever been to Stonehenge? Yeah, I have been to Stonehenge. And it is this the sort of place that I've only been as a grown-up, so I only went, like, last year for the mm. first time, and it's like, I'm, I'm not going to be impressed. It's stupid. It's <laughs> this massive tourist trap. And then you drive in, you're like, oh, it's amazing. <laughs> Genuinely, though, you can get great T-shirts in the gift shop. <laughs> <laughs> Did you not bother going up to the fucking stone? I just got so one set. you have to get on a bus. Did you know that? So you can't just walk up to it. So it's because it's, it's protected. Mm. So you have to get on this bus with other people, which I assume is what put you off. I've been no. past it. I've been past it seven times and never actually Yeah, that motorway to that, that runs past it. To, yeah. to, 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 on the way to Glastonbury, yeah, you go past yeah. it. I 100% agree with you. Because although when they went, they said it was very overcast and they actually saw a fog bank and they started to imagine what it might was, be in the fog. She said, it was sitting on the horizon and it just got John thinking. Yeah. But it is a weird place. Yeah, you understand, is. like, I went on a beautiful evening and the sunset, but there's a magic there's about it. There's an energy. It. Yeah. There really is. Oh, next go. time I'll get out of the car. <laughs> no, don't, you're on a motorway, so you'll get killed. But, um... Chris, we're passing Stonehenge. Tuck and roll. Tuck and roll. You'd be quicker walking. <laughs> yeah, that's true. At that bit of the trip to Glastonbury. Um, <laughs> so that's one of the inspirations. H.P. Lovecraft is another obvious one, but um, I'm sure you found this, Alex, the film that inspired yeah, this. Yeah, I started watching the trailer, The Trollenberg Terror. But when John Carpenter saw it, it was called The Crawling Eye. Because the monsters are giant eyes that crawl along long from a radioactive cloud on a mountain, I believe. Yep. It looks good. Yep, 1958. Um, it stars Warren Mitchell. I think I've, I, needed to, I needed to check this. I think that's Alf Garnet, isn't it? Oh, is it? Oh. I think it might be. Oh, really? Okay. I think Warren Mitchell. If, if it's wrong, snip this out. <laughs> um, but Trollenberg Terror, do you know uh, it connects to another film that we've talked about on this podcast? 
No, you're going to have to help me with that one. Mm, he wrote... Wait, the... Vicky, say it. Don't just shake your head so it's like... Because when this plays out, it'd be like, Vicky knew. She just didn't want to say. Vicky doesn't know either. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was written by someone who wrote another film that we have talked about. That's well, been... we've talked about loads of films. About 26 at this point. Is 20, it? 28, yeah. What a um, Jimmy Sangster, we did talk about him on the podcast. Did oh. we? Oh, no. I'm still lost. It's the guy who wrote The Toughest Man in the World. <laughs> oh, shut the fuck up. No. <laughs> true. That of it's all, true. like, what? I've actually cut that bit out of my memory banks. <laughs> I've forgotten we've done it. I need to remember better things in Terrific. life. Terrific film. <laughs> uh, um, but it's also connected to someone that we're going to talk about later in the podcast because The Crawling Eye features in the novel of It. One of, oh, the okay. one of the characters watches The Crawling Eye yeah. and then The Crawling Eye becomes one of their manifestations of fear in yeah. the book. Yeah. So it's all interconnected this week. Yes. I just stopped thinking of Francis McDormand in Fargo while I was watching this because I don't know, there's one character, I think it might be Tom Aitkins, who goes, oh, yeah, okay, oh, yeah, a lot, just like her in that. Do you know... Um, did they do that or did he just want to do that impression? No. I don't remember him doing it, but it's fine. I'll find it. I'm going to find it, and if I find, find it, I'm going to play it yeah, now. There, see? <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, if I didn't find it, that bit's just going to sound weird. Did you? I thought this film looked very lovely, the locations. And I that, liked the lighthouse a lot. I was like, that is oh my that's gosh, a nice lighthouse. Unbelievable. That yeah. scene when she's walking down to it. Apart from that, because I thought, God, with a pram, that's a fucking nightmare. Yeah, I thought too. the same thing, <laughs> did you? Well, not with a pram. I was like, she's a smoker. So <laughs> it's all very well going <laughs> yeah. down, but climbing yeah. back up after like, those fags. Steps, well, what you yeah. can't see is there's actually a lift there. I did my research. Oh. Yes, there's oh. a lift as well that people can use. So. <laughs> okay. You know, she wasn't actually a smoker before this movie. Can you believe that? John Carpenter was fascinated with the kind of feisty dames from Howard Hawks' movie who all smoked. So he basically made her start, made smoking. Her start smoking and terrible. taught her how to smoke for this film. That's terrible. Although, to be fair, there's nothing worse when you see someone pretending to smoke on telly and on a film where it's for some reason, it's just an important part of their character. But you, you watch them, you're like, you, you've not done it right. That's mm. so irritating. I wonder how they did that now. But obviously on the set of Mad Men, everyone smoked yeah. in the series. Um, and it's herbal cigarettes. I didn't know. They, oh. They're obviously not real cigarettes. Because yeah. you're like, they'll be dead. They shot a few miles down the coast from where the birds was shot. And you can see that that was a bit of an inspiration on this film. And also, well, another Alfred Hitchcock connection. Obviously, Janet Leigh's in it. She doesn't really get any scenes with her daughter, though, does she? Or does she get any? No. Yes, at the very end. Yeah, at the very end. It's kind of a shame, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, I think she overestimates how excited an audience would ever be to see a statue, though, because she (laughs) does go and she goes, "The statue's been unveiled. Single file. Don't push." (laughs) And you're like, "Statue." Yeah. Uh, Another thing I liked in this film is the score. Did you, though? I love the the... score in this film, and I listen to it all the time when I'm writing. I loved it, but I did just keep thinking about Halloween. Yeah. Mm. And I was like, why aren't these pirates, who aren't pirates, killing more people? Yeah. I mean, we'll get on to what we really thought could be better about this movie towards the end, but if I'm going to start it now, it's the villains. I really didn't like the villains in this. I don't think a scary man should be called Blake. I know Michael Myers is scary, and Michael's not necessarily a scary name. Myers is something ominous about it. Is Freddy a scary name? Kruger is, though. Kruger is. Yeah. I also don't like the fact that the pirates get all the big kills, and the fog, which is arguably the scarier villain, does all the menial work. Like, the pirates kill people. The fog pulls down telephone lines, <laughs> floods generators. Yeah, real legwork stuff. Yeah, ruptures power cables. Assistant level stuff. I mean, all the sort of the flamboyant gore, pirates get it, so yet they're rubbish. You literally wanted the fog to kill. Yes. How would that have manifested itself? Ooh. It could have gone in your lungs and then choked you to death. Or if it had formed some kind of foggy noose A and foggy hung noose. you. A foggy noose. <laughs> Band name, called it. <laughs> we are Foggy Noose. <laughs> Thank you, Glastonbury. <laughs> Be- better or worse than the Coupe de Villes. Which is obviously a band that's mentioned, which is John Carpenter's John band. John Carpenter's band. Yeah. Have you seen the music video for Big Trouble in Little China? No. Oh, my God. We will, we will link to this on, our, on, on ClashPod Twitter, but it is... There is nothing more 80s than watching John Carpenter <laughs> sing the Big Trouble in Little China song in this 80s video as part of the Coupe de Villes. I felt like the scene where I, they, it all seemed the creepiest was when poor old Mrs. Kobritz gets killed. 
I just didn't. No. Uh, no. So the weatherman seems a little bit. Yeah, scary, I was it? really scared during that when she's screaming at him to stay on the phone. Yeah, that was that worked. Yeah. I like it when they turn up to the church at the end to take refuge there and the priest is drunk. <laughs> he's like yeah. got a bottle of wine and he's like, ah, you can't hide anymore wherever you go. They'll find you. <laughs> that is not an accurate representation of Hal Holbrook, like. uh, a very talented actor. <laughs> when, they, when they showed up in the church at the end, I did see a little bit of Michael Jackson's thriller in the way they were kind of stumbling <laughs> towards the camera in that, in that the way they were all kind of lined up. Dum, 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 dum. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, now I, I can no, see that. That would have been so brilliant. Um, the kid was not a good actor. But they rarely are, so... There is one performance, which I'm sure you know, John Carpenter's worst performance, <laughs> the actor he refused to ever put in any of his movies again in a speaking role, is in this film. <laughs> Who is it? It's the janitor in the church at the very start who's talking to the priest and goes, can I get paid? Oh, With yeah. the long hair. Yeah. Do you, Did know, you think he was bad? Well, I was at the social injustice because isn't the priest like, no, you can't get paid. Yeah. And then he mm. says, oh, never A little mind. bit of that. Yeah. Also, the fact that that is John Carpenter, which was the last time he ever put himself in a speaking role in a movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He says on the commentary, I only cast myself as a dead body again after that. <laughs> in body bags. I like that that's, that's a good um, self-awareness to see yourself back and think, I shouldn't do that anymore. Although he was very impressed with how he looked. Because it was on the commentary, it was 16 years before. So he was just happy to have himself with, with dark hair. Frozen in time. Yeah. <laughs> it really does feel like the forgotten John Carpenter movie, though. Compared to the th- things like The Thing, like The Thing um, and Halloween, Escape from New York, this is one that isn't referenced as much. Um, I'll just say, I, I like the fact that it didn't have sex and blood and gore in it. I think. It's tough to do that in a horror film. Which is weird when they said they added gore because it is still yeah. very gore-free. Yeah, yeah I mean... Compared a, to fucking scanners, anyway. There's a, there's a kill at the start when um, the, what do you call it, the hook goes into someone, but, you know, nothing spills out. No. There's no blood. So, that I mean, that's what they're talking about. They've more added violence, I guess, than gore. Right. Uh, but I think it is very beautifully lit and framed. And maybe, you know... it. I mean, it made a lot of money because it only cost a million, but maybe it would have been a better film if it had cost five million. Certainly the fog rolling in across the bay. Yeah, yeah, and it still looks good today. It does. Yeah. Ah, uh, Vicky, what was your best scene? I've already said it, but when the diary jumps out of the wall and there's, I think there's no music. I thought is... you were taking the piss. No! <laughs> Are you being mine? You said you hoped a diary would jump out. Yes. I thought you were taking the piss where you thought you, you, it would be a monster or a person. No, I thought, let it be a diary. And how brilliant that it was a diary. <laughs> and a diary which tells you the whole backstory rather than being like bills or whatever or like, oh, you also someone 200 quid for candles or whatever it's like no this really terrible thing happened and I allowed it to happen it's yeah. a yeah. fucking invoice yeah that's what I mean because that's what people stuff into walls isn't it like, that didn't arrive don't worry about that <laughs> no good scene Al it's one moment with the fog where you think Stevie Wayne the DJ is safe in her lighthouse and she's just warning the town but she's okay and then the fog rolls over the crest of the hill. Oh, yeah. And this is why I think the fog is the main villain as opposed to the dead mariners. That or Father Maloney reading the diary. I was going to say, you'd literally said earlier in the podcast that was the best scene in the film. I think it is, really. Well, for me, it is when Priest Malone uh, reads the diary, as you said. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Who is your most valuable character? It's the legend that... Uh, of the bay and the town that the priest reads out. So the idea of the backstory of the blood money, I think that is a really good touch. So you're saying this week, you're saying story is a character. Mm. Uh, that's correct. I <laughs> am. Fantastic. Yeah. And fantastic. once again, and this, I hope this is the last time I have to say this, I was assured that it was not a right or wrong answer. <laughs> okay. There are parameters, so but we'll move on. i to get a little bit cross. Out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the fog. <laughs> Go on, chastise him. Go on. No, because I've got the fog as well. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Just setting you up. Just setting you up. Um, and what would you change about this film, Vicky? Well, I think it's a shame that we they kill. It's they're only going to kill six people, and that's established quite early. And we've already killed three. So yeah. you. you... <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing, but I agree. No, it's true. So that cuts the jeopardy. In half, yeah. and as an audience, you're counting down, which is a problem yeah. in, in 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 films where you're counting down something. It, I think it does yeah. lessen tension. Yeah, for sure. So, so you t- you can have the three, but then make it six after that. Once the ghost pirates are on land, it's that or don't give them red eyes <laughs> because that doesn't make any sense. I like that. Bit. I like no, the red eyes. and also because they can heat gold. It's like they're meant to be watery sea creatures, but now they can heat gold. 
Oh, yeah. While we're on the subject of, well, that happens at the very end. So the very end, it's got a great last scene. Why, Blake? <laughs> Why five and not me? <laughs> Boink! <laughs> Love that. Well, it's good. It's a nasty ending, but they mm. show real restraint with it as well because yeah. you don't see it happen. Yeah. Alex, what's your uh, I would change, change uh, the villain. I, I mm. somehow develop the ghost mariners in some way. I don't actually know how, but I just found them a quite a weak element. You could just say fog noose and we're good. <laughs> Foggy noose. Foggy I would have just given Jamie Lee Curtis more to do. Yeah. I felt like mm. she maybe, so maybe make her the heroine mm. and... Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. Okay, well, that is 1980s The Fog. So, Chris, you gave Vicky The Mist from 2007. Over to you, V. I watched The Mist, where a supernatural fog engulfs a small town, trapping the residents in a supermarket to face the demons within and monsters without. You may have heard there's a controversial ending. I couldn't tell you because I was crying so much and I will never be the same again. And fuck that fucking ending! It is time to take sides. Read the good book. It calls for blood. Guys, I hear something. Are those bugs? Not like any I've ever seen. Who she's going to sacrifice to make it all better? We want the boy. You try it. Right, let's all keep our powder dry. Let's talk about the plot before we get to the end. Oh, God. Yeah, uh, fine. Fine. I had, well, I had really high... I haven't seen it. I had really high expectations. Obviously, a collaboration between Frank Darabont and Stephen King. And I think so much of this film is is brilliant, but I can't, and we'll get to it, but the ending obviously taints the rest of it for me. All right, let's still walk around the ending without addressing okay, it. Okay, we can go you, through it. Yeah, Are you against the ending? I can't tell you how much against it I am, okay. but I'll try because it's a podcast. No. And I'll try really hard. You're like Stephen King. Words are your power. <laughs> I'm a big shot artist. <laughs> Sorry. So, oh, so there's line. some good backstory to this film, though. Do you know much about the uh, Dollar Babies? Uh, no. No. Stephen King's Dollar Babies. So I'll give you a bit of context. In 1980, uh, Frank Darabont wrote to Stephen King and asked if he could turn his short story, The Woman in the Room, into his first short movie. Uh, Darren Bont was just a, just a student, I think, or maybe just graduated, and King wrote back to him and said, yeah, you can, for free. And in 1984, he made that. It was his first directing credit, and it was a short. And this is what gave Stephen King the idea of Stephen King's Dollar Babies. So there's about 20 titles. They're always changing. But if you're a student or a budding director... Oh, you told me about this. Yeah, you can write to Stephen yeah. King and say, um, I would like to adapt this. And if he if he says yes, you've got to pay him one dollar, and you can adapt the story. It can't be released commercially, um, screened for profit, or uploaded to what YouTube, but it can be your calling card, and that's something that goes on to this day. How on earth do you stop it being uploaded to YouTube? Because surely, like major corporations can't stop their films being uploaded to YouTube. <laughs> These are just short films. Leave right. it to the students. Okay. They'll fix it. All right, fine. I just, it was an aside. I'm just like, it's a, it's a big ask. What happens if it does end up on YouTube? Stephen King comes around and goes, yo, well, you can, you can fuck you, you up. Which is, I just think it's such a lovely thing that Stephen King does. It is, yeah. Um, and so that's how that began. And that's how his relationship with Stephen King began. 
their friendship started there. And that was around the time he wrote The Mist and they spent 20 years going back and forth on The Mist with him trying to adapt it. Because this was going to be his first Stephen King yeah. adaptation. It was, yeah. Before Shawshank. And then obviously he decided to do Shawshank Redemption instead. I wonder if he had done this first. where Because obviously Shawshank famously, despite being an immaculate film, was not a hit at the yeah. time. Um I wonder if this would have been. Yeah, you're right. His, his passion is horror. He'd written Nightmare on Elm Street 3. He wrote The Blob. He wrote The Fly 2. Mm. And so it would have been obvious. The next logical step would have been for him to adapt The Mist. But Shawshank was the one that got the funding first. And he said that kind of actually scuppered his career a little bit. Not scuppered it, but it just sent it in a different direction of making The Green Mile and The Majestic. He suddenly became the guy that makes dramas. Mm. And he wanted to be the horror guy. Well, he certainly <laughs> proves his fucking worth here. I think this is fantastic. This isn't, this is, I'm not saying this because I have a problem with the ending, but there are some moments that are classic horror moments that I don't think he gets right as a director. Mm. I don't think he gets them as right as he should do. Okay. So um, it's jumping around a bit, but where after the kid gets grabbed by the octopus, this we should jumping. talk about the plot a little bit. Though, Basically, right. yeah, just summarize the plot for us before we get onto tentacle attack. So um, a small coastal town. Or is it by a lake? No, it's a lake, isn't it? It's a lake. Anyway, it's, it's a mountain Somewhere town. in New England, obviously. Mm. Um, is engulfed by a, a mist. And we are with a group of residents as they're doing the... Um, it's after a, a massive storm. So everyone's run to the supermarket to stock up on supplies. And this huge mist rolls in and everyone shuts the doors. And they think it's a natural disaster, but then it becomes clear there are things in the mist and they will kill you. And they're supernatural. And they're from another dimension, we find out later. We do. So then... What the film becomes about is you're trapped with your neighbours and friends and co-workers and how much of a nightmare that can be because it brings out the worst in people to be trapped in a situation that they can't escape from. Um, and is it better to run outside and face a flesh-eating monster? Um, and then we go on from there. Frank Darabont succinctly puts it as he wanted to do Lord of the Flies, yeah. but with really scary monsters. In. Yeah, which it is. I think that's fair enough. Um, I think there are worse places to be stuck than a supermarket. Two mm. words. Booze aisle. <laughs> I was quite <laughs> pleased. Oh, why is that? No one really, someone has one can of that's, Budweiser. But yeah, but Ridiculous. I loved that moment. I actually wrote that because I knew you'd appreciate it. After <laughs> the kid gets literally pulled to pieces by tentacles and dragged out into the mist, mm. the guy just goes... <laughs> need this fucking beer. But, but doesn't it hark back to Shaun of the Dead that we talked about recently, where in America they all go to the supermarket and the world's ending. In, in England, we all go to the pub. Um, the, what I was trying to say is that the horror element, so the kid gets dragged through the docking bay shutters and eaten by an octopus, right? Can we call him the Shermanator from American <laughs> yeah, Pie? Yeah, yeah, I forgot. Yeah. He's the Shermanator. The Shermanator gets eaten by man. an octopus. Thomas Jane, the hero of this film, chops off a bit of a tentacle and it's got teeth yeah. and it's really whatever and it's led there dead. He walks back into the supermarket to convince everybody else that something really fucking serious is going on. It's not just a mist. People don't believe him. So they go back down to the docking bay to look at the tentacle. Now, in a horror film, that tentacle should have gone right. and it should be sat on a shelf and then jump on someone's back. Mm. If I can see that, Frank Darabont should be able to see that. And then you kill it again. Done. But interestingly, that scene frustrates me because it's the actor Andre Brower, who I honestly only know from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is my fault probably. <laughs> but anyway, his defiance of not going to just look and see the tentacle <laughs> yeah. is bordering on the ridiculous because he's like, you guys are playing a trick on me. There's no tentacle. It's like you just go... All right, fuck it. Bye. I'll come and see. <laughs> Shit, there is. Uh, there is something yeah. in the mist. As opposed to going, nah, don't believe you. But nah, then, as Toby Jones says, um, you know, you can't convince uh, there's a fire with someone even when their hair is burning. And that took me back to, uh, and denial is a very powerful thing. Mm. And I have been in that situation literally where me and my friends went on a trip to Amsterdam and we took loads of mushrooms. And then we went to a bar with little alcoves in the wall and tea lights. And um, one of my friends leant back and it took us all a good, I would say, 20 minutes before we could like pool our hallucinations to admit to ourselves that Cassie's hair was on fire. Oh, is she is she dead now? No, she's fine. Okay, she, good. fortunately, she's got like very curly hair, so we didn't, <laughs> so we didn't touch her head. But for ages, we were all just staring at her hair on fire, and no one wants to be the first to be like, 
oh my god he's got his hair on fire <laughs> so we all just sat there being like I don't feel anything I feel absolutely fine these mushrooms are rubbish and then it was like oh shit get your it's actually weird how slow hair burns, though. Your hair yeah. can be on fire a while and yeah. just be singeing at the bottom. So a good bit that we need to mention at the start is when they all first find themselves trapped in the supermarket and the mist is outside and Carol from The Walking Dead is there. Everyone's from The Walking Dead. Loads yeah. of people are from The Walking Dead. It's strange Dead. watching it now, having watched it before The Walking Dead, just realised Darabon just rounded up that entire cast. <laughs> well, he does say that people who he likes, actors who he enjoys working with, he will repeatedly work with. I mean, William Sadler's in this, and it's his third movie with Frank Darabon. A bit after... like John Carpenter, though. Yep. They, have, they have like a travelling troupe of players that they like to oh use. Oh, my God, the number of people from uh, his movie. From Halloween fog. and The yeah. Fog, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so she's in it at the start and she basically left her kids at home while she popped to the shop and I'm mentioning this for a reason when we get to the end and mm. she's like will someone please come with me out into the fog I need to go find my kids and they're all like well no way from the fucking way we're gonna yeah it's uh, really chilling fucking, no and she's like please you you and almost goes around them and even calls out Thomas Jane and goes mm. how about you and he's like lady I got my own kid to worry about that's not his accent from the movie <laughs> and then she disappears Carol she from says, the won't Dead. anybody help a lady home? Yeah. Which is really well, strong. Yeah. So, as well as the monsters in the mist, the other big villain, who I feel I've seen in other Stephen King novels that mm. I couldn't remember off the top of my head, but it's a character that I think he's used a before lot. in some way. I mean, Carrie's mum. Yep, yeah. fine. There's a great good, example. A good version, yep. Mrs. Carmody. It's almost like Stephen King is not a fan of organised religion. <laughs> you get that vibe. <laughs> and she is, um, she goes from basically a social pariah to this religious fanatic in the movie where she starts convincing people, once people start dying and monsters start appearing, that this is the end of days mm. and people start to flock to her. She genuinely is one of the most hateful characters I've ever seen on a cinema screen. She was brilliant. She's so brilliant. She is. Also, um, this is always gets a big tick from me. For, for a God-fearing woman, she does swear a lot, so it's um, it's not inhibited her in that way, which I always <laughs> like. I mean, when I first watched this, I found her too annoying. I felt it was too one-note, she was too extreme, and I didn't buy into why people were following her, and that's why I found it interesting watching it this time in a post-Donald Trump world where I think it's much <laughs> easier to believe that people would, would follow someone who's ranting and raving and talking. Do you remember Hitler? I'm just saying... I don't, don't actually. I really don't. <laughs> Donald Trump is not the first bad guy. That's all. Like He gets a lot of press of being like, oh, it's a Trump-style speech, or it's mm. this and whatever. There's always been really nasty people. I guess I him- guess what I didn't watch Nazi Germany unfold around me, but watching okay. America fall for this guy it may, I felt like I, I, I was much more convinced this time by those people in that supermarket joining up to her cult in such a short pa- space of time yeah some great lines though I'm a personal fan of welcome to Sesame Street the word of the day <laughs> is expiation what does expiation mean? I looked it up for us uh, just in case uh, it's a reparation for guilt it's basically oh, atonement okay I don't know why he didn't use atonement. She says it about 50 times. There's other good lines. Oh, good lines include a lot that Toby Jones says, if not all of Toby Jones's lines. Toby Jones basically plays an action hero in yeah, this he movie, does. which yeah. is great. Yeah. yeah, good for him. Yeah. Love Toby Jones. He just brings it. He just did bring a level of quality to it. Like Marcy Gay Harden is incredible. And I, I don't mind Thomas Jane, but he's not quite up to this. Tom Jane is playing an artist at the start who's based on Drew Struzan, who did the Back to the Future poster. Harry Potter poster. Oh, yes, that's what we see him drawing at and the And in start. fact, you've, it's Drew Struzan posters there. It's his The Thing, it's his Pan's Labyrinth. And I've actually got the most most money I've ever spent on a piece of film memorabilia is a Drew Struzan signed Back to the Future, which I've got in my living room. God, how much? 300 bucks. I thought you were going to say 3,000. Yeah. 300 bucks feels like a lot of money. Mm. Vintage poster. posters are expensive. When I was a little kid, you know that um, poster shop on that used to be on Brewer Street, the one that's closed recently, the really awesome one with the cardboard cutouts? Yeah. And, um, I, we must have been going to the theatre when I was about eight and we went in there because I like looking at the film magazines and there was a Revenge of the Jedi poster for £100 behind the desk and I told my dad to buy it and he told me, no, you're, why would I spend £100 on a poster? You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and every now and then I'll go on eBay and send him a link to that poster today and how much it's worth. How so, much is it? Um, a lot, thousands and thousands <laughs> of pounds, because they made they made like five hundred Revenge of the Jedi before they changed the title to Return of Is the Jedi. Is that why I couldn't remember yeah, yeah. the story? The shooting title for Return of the Jedi was Revenge of the Jedi, right. and then George Lucas felt that revenge is not something a Jedi would do. 
Okay. And so it became return. And I knew this. And I'm like, Dad, buy it, buy it. Daddy, daddy, buy it. <laughs> Didn't do it. Hope you're listening, Dad. <laughs> um, here's a bit of trivia for you. When Stephen King originally wrote the novella, um, The Fog, uh, uh, rather The Mist. Well, I've ruined my <laughs> trivia now. In 1980. <laughs> Fucking yeah. Did he want to call it The Fog, Alan? Uh, maybe. Until... Uh, <laughs> Until John Carpenter's The Fog came out, he did, and then he saw that and went, I'll change it to The Mist. But equally, that scene that you mentioned about the eggs coming out of the person that's very Aliens, mm. to the point that it really looks like Aliens. Like, I hope he's doing an homage. If not, he's just nicking stuff. I do know that moment is good for another reason, though, because I like the fact we are drip-fed information as to what might be the cause. It might not necessarily be true what his explanation is. Well, assuming this is a fairly accurate adaptation of the story, apart from the ending, which Frank Darabont got Stephen King's blessing to change from the original ending, which we'll talk about in a moment. But in the book, the power storm knocks out something. And so this window that the military had created to look through into another dimension was kept open longer than it should and it all spilled through. Yeah, it rips a hole. Which is a thing that Stephen King loves. I don't know if you've ever read, he's got another short story in his compilation Nightmares and Dreamscapes called Crouch End, which again ties <laughs> into last uh, wow. recent episodes uh, that we were talking about, Shaun of the Dead. And it's uh, set in Crouch End and it's about how Crouch End, for some reason, the material between our reality and another reality has become very threadbare. And I remember reading that, and there's one line in it, which I don't know why, but is why Stephen King is so good with words. He talks about how a black sloshing bulk is behind a hedge. And I remember reading that and going, oh, fuck, that's so <laughs> scary. Darabon, on the, on the commentary, which is quite boring and dry, mm-hmm. I'm quite disappointed in that one. Because he's a very animated interview. He's a great guy, yeah. yeah. I, was surpri- I was disappointed. It was very technical, I think. Uh, the, more technical than I'd be interested. But he does talk about the fact that he, he'd written an opening sequence that would actually show the accident happening in a laboratory. That's right. And they were going to shoot it. And then uh, he was having dinner with Andre Bauer. And he's the one who said to him, do we need this? And he said, I went away and thought about it. A, realised we didn't need it because tonally it would be very different to the rest of the film. Uh And B, it would save me loads of money and I didn't have much money anyway. Um, Yeah, it's much easier if everyone just talks about it. (laughs) Because how it happened, uh, how this movie got funded was um, it was uh, the lovely and charming Bob Weinstein. Uh, was the only person who was willing to make the movie with the ending, which we will talk mm. about any second. And Darabont said, went to meet him for the first time and said, look, this is a deal breaker. So the one thing you can't ask me to do, I'll make it for this inexpensive amount of money, but you can't ask me to change the ending. And, and Weinstein was good to see his word. I feel this leads on to a point that you were going to make, Vicky, the money thing when you said, I have a problem with the monsters. Is that because of the way they look? Is it the CGI? No, no, it's not that. It's it's that there are too many threats, there are too many monsters. So when you first see a monster, you think, oh, it's going to be a giant octopus type thing. Then there's a locust. You think, oh, is that the octopus food? Then there's a pteranodon. You can ramp up a threat and you can add layers to it, but it's too many creatures. Do you not Mm. think that's what they're doing? I quite like the fact that the monsters seemingly get bigger and bigger, like the Mm. first wave that comes through is small and then as it progresses and then towards the end, you see that giant Lovecraftian thing walking through the Like a god, like a god. It's like birds or other fly monsters around it, like it's got its own ecosystem up there, it's so big. I suppose I got into it, but because that was explained that we've ripped a hole in the dimensions and so we're in a different world, but at first we are dealing with an octopus type thing and then we're dealing with locusts and then we've got a pteranodon pterodactyl that eats the locusts. So you're thinking at that point in the story oh if we make if we harness a pterodactyl maybe our problems are over because it could eat because it eats the locust things it's attacking you were thinking about harnessing a pterodactyl (laughs) you are much tougher than me (laughs) how are you going to do that what was your plan (laughs) is this maybe this is because i tell you what i plan better than they do right so the pterodactyl flies into the supermarket and someone's like Turn off the light. Turn on the light. Do you want this light on or off? Because it's really important. Yeah. And then someone tries to set it on fire. Sets themselves on fire. <laughs> Someone's like, they, fire, fire. Has anyone got a fire extinguisher? You fucking idiots. Yeah. Like, just have a plan. But what would your plan... You, have you got a lasso? Can you use a lasso? Have you ever lassoed anything? <laughs> I would, yeah, I would, I would saddle that pterodactyl and then fly it around like Harry Do Potter. You what, was the last thing you, what was the last thing you saddled? <laughs> Do you not feel like tonally if one of the characters had been riding round on the back of a pterodactyl, the fear may have dissipated. <laughs> Toby Jones. <laughs> Game yippee ki I mean, <sighs> so yeah. the trip to the pharmacy, then it's like, 
obviously the dead bodies hanging in spider webs. The spider webs are acidic and will burn your skin. It's like there's just so much going yeah. on that I lost um, being scared because there's too much to be scared of. Like, hmm. I don't know. I like those acidic spider webs. Yeah. They were good. The bit where, because you're just waiting for someone to get hit in the face. By yeah. one. And I oh, guess when like, that old lady um, gets the bug spray and sets a locust on fire. A spider. That, a spider, exactly. Yeah, so you got, yeah I get <laughs> I it. You're confused. Sure. Locust, spider. Can they Whatever. fly? Can they not fly? Do they, they like got... light or not? Because yeah. that's so important. Where's that pterodactyl I saddled? <laughs> the spider running off in flames was a tribute to the thing. Yeah. Um, I like the fact that you just didn't... I, so I would disagree. I would say, I, I, for me, I like the fact that the, the idea of the mist is you just don't know what's going to be in it each mm. time you sign about in it. But I totally take your point. And one of the things that Frank Darabont did leave out of the novel when he adapted this was that Thomas Jane's character and Laurie Holden's character, she plays the school teacher who looks after his kid who ends up in the car with him at the end. They have an affair in the book and they cut that out, which I think is a good idea because I remember one of the worst elements of reading Peter Benchley's Jaws is the fact that Ellen Brody and Matt Hooper have an affair in the book. And if you think about Jaws, one of the greatest films ever made, if not the greatest in my humble opinion, <laughs> um, if that had been included in the film, it would have just destroyed the movie. Yeah, it would add a I, layer of morality to it because he would have been, been judged for yeah. that. Yeah, well, I think that, but I think it might have made sense thematically because yeah. um, uh, Mrs. Commodi thinks that, believes that they need to make a sacrifice. Yeah. And it, morally he has um, sinned. Therefore, yeah. that's why she believes his son should Ooh. be... Uh, sacrifice. I don't know. Also, it just would, wouldn't have worked in the film, I don't think. Would there's, they have been shagging I mean, in the yeah, supermarket? There's no privacy. Well, so, exactly, yeah. yeah. So, um, are we doing this? Because I yeah. think we should, before we do it, say, listen, if you have not seen The Mist at this point and are listening to this in anticipation of watching The Mist, probably go away and watch The Mist and then come back and listen to this bit. Are, we, worried, are we ever worried about spoilers? <laughs> well, it's, it's just, just such, such a, a big, big one. one. <laughs> it's not every ending quite okay anyway um so it didn't this wasn't the ending in the book obviously no i haven't read the book, the book mm. so they just drive off into the mist well actually they, they, get, they hear a radio transmission and they think so people are still out there and carry on driving that doesn't happen in this does it vicky this tell us motherfucking ending. <laughs> no, let, let's, just, let's just say where it came from so for about 10 years they didn't have an ending for the film it's one of the reasons it was delayed and, and frank and King, uh, Darabont and King kept kicking it back and forth. Mm. Did they have a list of what not to do and then they picked the thing that they definitely shouldn't do and they thought, fuck it. Well, in the book, because it's all told in first person, it's in David's head and he thinks to himself uh, that if the worst comes to the worst, there are three bullets in the gun and four people in the truck and he wonders if he would do anything, if he would act upon that, but then it doesn't take that thought any further. Will you say what the ending is? Because I don't want to say it. Oh, come on, Vicky. I think you should say it. You got this movie this week. That's your job. Right. So Thomas Jane takes his child and his friends that he's made in the supermarket for a last ditch escape attempt because his car is parked just outside. So they risk life and limb to go through the mist. They get into the car. A few people die on the way. And Toby Jones is one of the people that dies and he drops his gun and then Thomas Jane grabs it off the bonnet of the car and puts it in the car with him. And there's some very ominous music and we're driving through the mist and the agreed plan bit of a shit plan, but fine, is we will drive as far as our tank of petrol will allow us. So they're driving along, they're driving along. The mist is not receding, which they thought it would. And then they run out of petrol and the car comes to a standstill. And they realise that these huge monsters are prowling around outside and there is nothing they can do. So they realise they've got a gun and then they count the bullets and his child is asleep. And then... They have, which is a major issue. It's not said out loud that this is the plan. But they all know it's the plan. I no think one, you need no to one gets a shock when they, they're like, what the fuck are you doing? Wait, no, 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 I didn't agree to this. I meant think, shoot the monsters. Yeah, do you not think it's the sort of thing you, you want to be fucking certain before you go down that path? Do you not think you, like, I see your eyebrow go, but just to be clear. I think the assumption is that there has been some verbal agreement. But what happens, Vicky? So it's obvious that he's going to shoot everyone and then he's going to sacrifice himself and be eaten because there aren't enough bullets for everyone mm. and his son is asleep and then his son wakes up yes, and realises that his dad is pointing a gun at him and then you cut to outside the car <laughs> and then the car lights up with gun flare and everyone's dead apart from Thomas Jane Who so then? I was like fucking hell yep. but okay I'm still with it yep. fine so then he steps outside of the car and he's like screaming at the monsters, come and get me, whatever. He's like, come on, come on. And he's ready for it. And I was like, fuck, that is really heavy. But I totally get it. Like and the loneliness of the last man standing. Who turns up? 
Do any monsters come, Vicky? Oh, so then I was like, wow. And I was looking at it, I was like, fuck, what a fucking film. Like, The Last Man Alive. And the, the thing is that he didn't want these monsters to kill him and now they can't come quickly enough because he's just had to murder his son. Yeah. And then, yep. uh, in about a second... L- literally a like second. One second, mm-hmm. uh, the... Mm, the mist clears yep. and the army turn up and everything's <laughs> fucking fine! Well, not everything, because his son's dead and some of the other three travelling companions he had with bullets in them literally a second ago. He killed them all and then it turns out the mist has receded and they've all been... Oh, not all of them have been saved. Just him! Yeah. <laughs> He's well annoyed, isn't he? He's I well annoyed. screaming, <laughs> screaming at the television. And Mark was like, did you not think that was going No, of course I didn't! Had he, he seen it before? No. Oh, did he... I don't think he thought that was going to happen. I, think, yeah, I, I certainly didn't. To, I think he's in a bit of a bad mood. It's an amazing, amazing ending. It's a bullshit ending. What? Because what's the what's the lesson we've learned? What's what story has been but told? No, we don't always need a lesson. Sometimes you just want to go. Fuck. No, that's how exactly many why times you, no, you have you seen a film end like no, that? No, that's the thing. It's it's cheap. You have to earn that. It needs to be a tragedy. There needs to be a flaw in his character that brought him to that point. And then it's Macbeth. Then it's fucking brilliant. So if he's hot headed. Or he always thinks he's right. Oh, so any number of boring bullshit things. But or he never has a plan or whatever. Then he gets in the car and then it's his own character that brought into that. Not just if he'd waited thirty seconds, everything would have been fine. I like it. No, I like the fact that it's just chance. No, it's, it's just pure chance. No, he'd reached a point no. where he thought this was the end. <laughs> no, and he didn't know. Granted, I wrote down. I'd have probably waited. (laughs) (laughs) And also, because the lady at the beginning who says, won't anyone walk a lady home? And she has to go and get her kids. So she's on the truck. So the reason I introduced Carol from The Walking Dead Mm. earlier is because... (laughs) I believe they call that rubbing salt into the wound. Because as the mist clears, people have been saved from the town that he was in and they go past on the truck. Carol from The Walking Dead, I really should have written down her name, I'm sorry. She uh, looks at him and the look she gives him is almost like... Told you. <laughs> shoulda, woulda, coulda. That's a, but is that the the morality? You should have gone straight away and gone and got your wife. Because he doesn't. He doesn't leave the supermarket. Or is the morality you should have helped her? Like there has you can't do that to those characters. You can't have a man murder his son, which is an extraordinarily rare and terrible thing to do, without it having an impact on the character. Otherwise, what's the otherwise is it just done to make people talk about the film and then that's cheap as fuck and you shouldn't do that. Chris. Um, my belief is that Mrs. Carmody was right, that they needed a sacrificial lamb um, to pay for their sins. It needed to be the boy because he was innocent. And that's what she believed. They oh. go out there, they kill the boy. And that is why the, the, the mist leaves and the monsters are gone straight away. That what needs to be done and she was right all along but she also references Abraham and wouldn't it have made more sense if he goes to kill him he's going to make the ultimate sacrifice and he doesn't have to because at that moment then the mist clears because God knows he would have done it but he doesn't actually have to do it like what is there left for this man now like it's but he, I don't even feel like he, he didn't deserve any of it he was just trying his best in Stephen King's stories though sometimes good people have to pay the price there's a bill to be paid and unfortunately like at the end of the Green Mile Tom Hanks is a good man but it doesn't end well for him in that that's just something that Stephen King comes back to it's only because I only saw it last night so I haven't had time to think it through sure. but I was really really angry I don't know if you can tell <laughs> I could really, tell really I was angry. getting scared and also because I've just slagged off child actors but he was really good the kid and like the the bond between the two of them is very very believable and promise you won't let the monsters get me I honestly this I was watching it last night and I was watching it really late and it made me feel so awful that I nearly went downstairs and walked the children up to give them a cuddle which I don't ever do because when they're asleep leave them alone but it made me feel terrible when it was coming I was starting to think what is this for why is this ending it just like what you were saying it was almost starting to annoy me thinking about the fact that they'd just done this for shock value yeah and then I started thinking well is there another thing and so I could be wrong but that it makes much more sense in my head now yeah um if she was right. Yeah. Because also the, the timing as well of the fog lifting literally seconds after the, the sacrificial lamb is killed. Yeah, okay. Well, that does, that makes me feel a bit better about it. I don't mind. It's not, I'm not squeamish about what happened. I just think you can't do it. You have to earn it. You can't just do that. Yeah. Can you not? <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? I think you can. I think, you know, not enough movies... End kill like kill that. kids? So what if you do it for a talking point? It's a great talking point. 
Because of that ending, people go, oh, like Chris and I did to you. We were like, oh, <sighs> The Mist. Mm, You're if, watching The Mist. And- but interestingly, it flopped. If it had had a happier ending, would it have been a bigger hit? It opened at number nine in uh, America and it was the 94th most successful film that year. I swear that if it had a happier ending and then we'd heard about this other ending that Frank Darabont had planned that the studio wouldn't have let him do, we'd all be talking about how that was the ending it should have had. Regardless, it's like the studio wanting to enforce a happy ending on Seven. Like, I'm not saying it needs a happy ending though. I just, yeah, just you can you, you can still have the ending exactly as it happens. Do you describe to me Thomas Jane as a character in that movie? What he's just a dad. Like he is a bit hot headed and he's a little bit something, but he hasn't got any character that you think. Mm, okay, so there's a, an element of tragedy there. Yeah. Why do bad things happen to good people? God, it's like sometimes it just does. I think it's interesting though regarding that ending. The two most famous Stephen King endings in cinema are he didn't write, so it's this ending, and it's uh, Carrie, the ending of Carrie, which Brian De Palma wrote. Oh, and the original ending to the Green Mile that Frank Darabont wanted, where it was set in space. (laughs) (laughs) Right, shall we get to our categories? Yep, go. Uh, I'll start with you this time, Alex. What was your favourite scene? Uh, My favourite scene is actually the tentacle attack because you think he's just going to be dragged out of the (laughs) doorway and then suddenly it starts just pulling off chunks of his flesh. I like it when he bashed his head on the way out. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) Vicky? Um, When Toby Jones shoots Mrs. Carmody in the head, (laughs) it was really well done. (laughs) That's your best moment? Yeah, it's wicked. Okay. I like it when Thomas Jane kills, shoots his son in the head. Jesus Christ. Um, (laughs) No, the ending's the best scene. That's why we're here talking about it. Um, Alex, most valuable character? Mrs. Carmody. Um, Mm. She is the villain for me. Forget the monsters, forget the mist. She's awful. I, I loved her. The character is what the role, the catalyst that she is in the film. But God, I hated her. Are you saying that mankind is the real monster in this movie? Which we were talking about. <laughs> Shaun of the Dead and, yep. and Zombieland didn't do. This one very much does that. Yeah, it's the same. Man is She's... the monster. Person, sorry, is the monster. I Very good. No, that's why I changed it to mankind. Right, but you no, can't say that. Humankind. <laughs> it's humankind. Yeah. Humankind. Or person kind. Some, or, all right, let's not, the... get off, let's not get off the, uh, the categories. Let's yeah. do uh, I like the brave biker. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> He's so brave, so stupid. It goes out with the little thing tied oh, yeah. around his waist. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, mate. Uh, I like the fact that there's uh, no waste for the monsters because even though his legs are just sitting there in the car park for a while, just the bottom half of him, a monster eventually goes, oh, some legs here. I'll eat that. Uh, and uh, what would you change, Alex? So interesting that Vicky loves the death scene of Mrs. Carmody. That is my worst scene. Is it? Because I, God, this sounds awful. I like the fact he shoots her in the stomach to begin with. And I really, because of how much I hated that character and who she was, I wanted her to suffer for longer. Wow. And the fact that she gets a bullet in the head and she is put out of her misery. Like but you never even get a shot of her face, like her sort of realisation that this is the end yeah. for her yeah. and that all this power that she's built up has just gone in a flash. And I really wish there'd been just a little bit of a beat before mm. he does her in the head. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's not what would you change, Vicky, or do I not bother asking that? I, or are you going to start shouting and go red again? I, <laughs> Get really hot. Am I really purple? Get really hot. Uh, That's such a giveaway. Like, um, the fact that you're fanning yourself quite a lot, yeah. it's all got a bit much. It was um, intense. Would you, would you change the ending, Vicky? No, I, I don't want to talk about the ending anymore. So I would just keep, what I said before, fewer threats. Just keep yeah. it sharper. I would cut the runtime somehow. I feel like there's about half hour in the middle in the supermarket that could be cut out. It feels long. Yeah, right. All right, before we make our decisions, does anyone want a quiz? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yes? wait, this is our third week of trying a quiz. <laughs> We've had two fundamentally... Flo- I love uh, the first one in hindsight. I just remember Chris not being a fan. I've gone super simple. Great. That's probably wise. All right. So we've done a John Carpenter film and a Stephen King film. I think we're going to visit with both of these storytellers a few times down the line. Okay. I love them both dearly. So I've got a couple of questions that unite the pair of them. Love it. Um, do you know what the name of the John Carpenter movie based on a Stephen King book is? Oh, Cat's Eye. No. Oh, shit. Don't know. Wait, hang on. I think you only get one guess. Oh, wait, no. What? You have to say that at the start. This is what I'm saying. These quizzes aren't well explained. <laughs> no, all right, Alex, you just keep guessing until... <laughs> until I get bored. <laughs> until we run out of tape. So it's, it's a John Carpenter movie based on a Stephen King book? Yes. All right, go on. Christine. Oh. Oh, yeah. I forgot you did that. Um... 
But he wanted to adapt another of Stephen King's books and he got quite far. He got a script written. Uh, Martin Sheen was going to star in it. Um, but then when the thing bombed, he got kicked off the film. Do you know what that was? So did another, it get made? It did get made in the mid 80s. Children um, of the Corn. Sorry, it was going to star Richard. No, not that one. It was going to star Richard Dreyfuss, but he was going to cast Michael Sheen in it. So Needful Ma- Things. Oh, I've got that wrong again. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> See what I mean about fucking quizzes on this podcast. Right, I'm a professional. Yeah. It starred <laughs> Drew Barrymore. And it's, sorry, what? It got made in the 1980s, but not by John Carpenter. I don't remember any movies with Drew Barrymore in the 1980s apart from oh, E.T. Not E.T. Yeah. <laughs> Firestarter. Oh. Never heard of it. You never heard of Firestarter? Mm. All right. I've got, I've got sort of a reserve question in case you didn't get those right. Um, mm. Have we got any right? Including. <laughs> including... I, I, honestly, I've, I'm checked out. I'm just. It's because letting... when he doesn't get them right, he gets annoyed. Uh, um, including <laughs> The Mist, how many times has Frank Darabont directed Stephen King stories? Four. Four. And what are they? That one you sure mentioned. <laughs> That's very good. I thought you were gonna, I thought I was going to catch you out there. Yeah, the one you mentioned, uh, the woman in the room, Shawshank, the Green Mile and this. Damn, I thought you were going to forget the woman in the room. No. I even made sure I mentioned it. And See how angry he gets when I actually do get it right. <laughs> I'm happy. Right. Quizzes. Vicky, do you want one just for you? Yeah, don't embarrass me. What if I don't No, get but it's it right? not, I've gone away from geeky film knowledge. Okay. But this still, is more general. What if I still don't get this right? Patronising. <laughs> what is the difference between fog and mist? Is it to do with the density of the droplets? Is it the temperature? Is it the... How many guesses does she get? <laughs> I mean, this is all wrapped up in it. Yeah, that's all correct. Is it? Uh, let's say so. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> all right, enough quizzing. It's time for the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! Chris, who do you want to go first? I want Alex to go first because he's not sure. Ugh, right. Um, I am going to go with... I thought both of these were great. Um, I guess I maybe have picked this movie because the movie that I didn't like as much, it was my fault that I didn't like it as much because I walked into it expecting one thing and got another. And had I watched it expecting the thing that it is, then I would have enjoyed it more. Enough of trying to sound like the plot of Memento. <laughs> I didn't really... I switched up about a minute ago. ...expect... <laughs> The fog to be such an atmospheric ghost story, I'd expected something a lot more visceral, and it wasn't. And so I started to get a bit bored, if I'm honest, in the fog. Uh, Whereas The Mist kept me hooked, uh, and I do love the ending. Sorry, Vicky. So I'm going to go with The Mist this week. I don't know. I really don't know, because I really did enjoy The Fog. I thought it was... Uh, very creepy, atmospheric. I was very hungover as well, so I was really edgy. So that made me enjoy it a bit more. Like I was sat next to my cat and she snored during a bit of it and I genuinely like shot off the sofa. <laughs> the scariest bit in the fog. I was so fucking anxious. <laughs> just, um, but, and, but then I do have a real problem with the mist and the ending, but I did enjoy it a lot more up to that point. So I, was, I just thought the performances, it just came together a bit better for me. But I can't forgive the ending, so I'm going to say The Fog. Oof. Oh, that's not fair because you all three it. of us, no, all three of us have the same feeling this week where especially you Wait. and me, I, don't, I just don't know which what? one to choose. You you picked The Mist, didn't you? Yeah, Vicky just picked The Fog. Yeah, which means I, I don't want to have to pick. You don't want I to decide. Because I don't know which one I was going to pick. Oh, I was just going to pick the one that like you both that. hadn't picked because oh. I was so... I thought you loved it when you got the deciding no, vote. No, not this week. Only if I've, I've got a favourite. I think it's both. It's remarkable both films got made in the way they did for their budgets. I think they they both look really good for what they cost. I said the mist is too long and too short. It gave me way too much anxiety. The mist did as well. He thinks my explanations are rubbish. It's too long and too short. The mist. <laughs> you know what I mean. The fog is just the right length. <laughs> That's true. Oh, uh, I'm going to say because I love that ending. I'm going to go with the mist. Oh, I'm pleased about that. Vicky, how'd you feel? <laughs> Meh, good. Yep. So there we go. <laughs> the Mist <laughs> is the winner this week. Something in the Mist. So next week, it's my picks. These are the two movies I am giving you. I'll start with you, Christopher. You are going to get The Raid. Oh, I love The Raid. Yeah. Thought that made you happy. Whereas, Victoria, you are getting 
dread. Okay. <laughs> so those are your two movies. That's what we're going to be talking about next week. If anyone wants to watch them and join us for that chat, we'd love you to be there. So it's dread versus the raid. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, it's show at clashpod.com or on Twitter, it's at clashpod. Also, please subscribe to us at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back in a week. This was a Stakhanov production.